Good morning, sports fans, and welcome back to the third episode of the Coaches Coffee Club. Um, we are joined today by Mr. Matthew Craddock, Head of Coaching at Preston. Um, before we get into our interview with Matthew, here is a quick word from Pitch, our sponsors. Pitch is the Tinder of football, and while you're unlikely to get yourself a date via this innovative platform, you will find a website that challenges the status quo of scouting and talent ID. Pitch gives footballers greater exposure to showcase their talents by scientifically matching them with scouts and coaches. Whichever side of the footballing fence you're on, join today and experience the future of football talent management. Sign up today at www.pitchrmt.com. Okay, welcome back. Good morning, Mr. Craddock. Good morning. How, How are, are you, my friend? Very good. Very good. Yourself? Yeah, good, mate. Thanks for joining us. Uh, appreciate it. I know we we do keep in touch, so it's uh, just another chat. But today we've got a little bit of purpose around it rather than just venting or talking about our lives. <laughs> so, and we're not driving. So, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> first of all, yeah, really appreciate you joining us, mate. Um, topic for today, we're going to talk around um, session planning, session delivery, coaching, stuff like that. But before we get into that, would you be able to give the listeners a, a brief insight into your current role and maybe your career to date and how you found yourself where you are now? Uh, yeah, I mean, my role at the moment is head of coaching. So, well, I mean, we've, we've chatted about this in the past. It's quite a, it's quite a broad role, really, where, you know, our, our job in the, in the academy really is about developing players for our first team. Um, bigger picture is about developing players to have you know, some sort of career in the game and bigger picture again, it's about developing people. So it's quite, quite a broad, a broad role. You know, it's, it's looking after the coaching curriculum, the coaches and the players, um, everyone really from the nines to 18. So that's my current role. And then I guess, I mean, I went to, went to uni cause I wasn't really sure what to do. Um, did a sports science and physiology degree. And then when I came out, I started working in schools, um, around PE and school sport, so my role was a bit, bit of, bit of everything really. Coaching um, after school clubs, community sessions, um, and then it developed into doing PE lessons, and then it developed again because we had quite a forward-thinking boss actually, who um, I was then working with teachers, supporting them with their delivery and helping them, you know, to engage the, the pupils into their PE lessons and, and deliver PE really in, in an effective and engaging manner. Um, and then after, after that, my, my role took me into the FA. So uh, I met Steve Healy, who was your last guest. Uh, Steve and I had, had the same role for a year and then, um, or two years, sorry. And then I was a, a coach developer in the Northwest of England um, de- delivering on everything up to like the youth award and the start of the the B license and basically working with with coaches in and around the area to support them through their coaching journey and um, during all that time I've had um, opportunities to work in academies alongside those roles but only as part-time and and then I got an opportunity to join Preston uh, the role when I first started was a joint role it was a lead 12 to 16s and head of coaching. And then after the, uh, my first year in that role, the Premier League 
offered funding to all the, the football league clubs, which uh, guaranteed them a full-time head of coaching position, which meant that we could uh, employ another person to, to take after look after the 12 to 16s and allow me to concentrate just on the head of coaching role. So this is my fourth season now at the club and uh, pre-season is almost done and I'm ready for a break. <laughs> so you're in good shape, is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, I'm in good shape, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So, what? What just quickly? What does a typical sort of week look like for a head of coaching? Um, what are your day to day duties, and what do you? What yeah, do you, well, how do you how do you sort of work day in day out to achieve that bigger goal of developing? Yeah, I mean, I mean, we've we've chatted in the past, haven't we? And every, every head of coaching role is different. Everybody has a different sort of working week, um, depending on the, the, the club, the structure, you know, what what their interests are. My interests are, are coaching, so I, I'm trying to embed myself really with the under 18s and the under 16s. So I, I try and get out as often as I can with the 18s during the week. And um, whenever we have the 15s and 16s in, um, I'm trying to to help them as well and support their transition from the YDP into the PDP. Um, and then on top of that. You have uh, evening training where we have the nines or sixteens in. So you know my my role is to work with the coaches, you know, supporting them through their their coaching journey now and making sure that you know what what they're delivering is in line with our academy values and our academy framework, but also supporting them with their own personal development at the same time. And then it also means I, I jump in and, and coach as well with the nines or sixteens when I can. Uh, and then on top of that, we obviously have quite a few strategic things that need to be done. And, you know, there's there's a new audit coming in. So there's a lot of work to make sure that we're in a, a good position for when, you know, anyone needs to ensure that we have all the, the right things in place at the academy. So it's quite a varied role. You know, I do have quite a lot on the grass and there's quite a lot off the grass as well. You know, making sure that the academy is, is running and everything that is in place like it should be. Oh, brilliant. So it <clears throat> sounds like uh, sort of coach development, coach education has been part of your working life for a long time, whether you intended that or not. But yeah, am I right in thinking that delivery and, and actually coaching is still really important to you? And yeah, that's, that's getting out on the grass yourself. Yeah, that's and it doesn't even have to be on the grass really. It's just about developing players. That's that's you know that's the exciting bit. Working with with players is is the exciting bit. You know, the, the you're right. The, the role has sort of taken me down like a coach development sort of um, route. But but yeah, the, the real fun stuff is is getting out with the players and working with the players and and also seeing you know seeing players that you've worked with probably for three four years. You know, just just continuing their development is is really uh, fulfilling. Yeah, and I guess being at a, at a club for, for four four years or more now, you, you start to see a lot of that come to fruition, don't you? If you're only in a place for a short time, it's hard to yeah. see such an impact. But being there for three, four, five, six years, you can you can see the fruits of your labour as such, can't you? Yeah, I, I mean, youth, youth development is it's a long-term thing isn't it so I think if if you did bounce around from from club to club you know if you spent one or two years somewhere and then one or two years somewhere else and and you did that I don't think you'd actually ever get to see the impact that you make because the what what we have to realize as well is that the work we do now may you may see the benefit of that work in five six maybe ten years time so you have to be patient and I, I, I agree actually I think I think now that I've been here you know, for four years coming on, then you can start to see some of the work that, that you've been doing 
starting to produce at, at the other end it's it's quite fulfilling and I think if if I had of you know if, if the role had, had changed or I'd have moved on after two years you know you probably would struggle to, to see what impact you've made because because it has to be over a long period of time whereas I think now you know when you you have a longer period you get that opportunity to look back and say oh yeah I remember actually when he was 12 and we'd done that work with him and now he's 16 17 you know, getting opportunities in and around the first team, it's, it's, it's amazing to be able to see that. Yeah, yeah. But you have to be patient. Yeah. yeah, and I think that also, <coughs> excuse me, that, that can shape your, your actions as well, can't it? If you're, you look after a four-year cycle, now yeah. that you, you look back and think, well, I'm, I'm entering another four-year cycle, essentially, every year becomes year one to someone, doesn't it? So... Yeah, it does, you, yeah. You, you almost shape your behaviours based on what you know four years of going through the cycle if that makes sense yeah yeah i think i think they're good they're good reference points aren't they but but the the, the difference probably is that the get the game it, it keeps evolving so you have to keep evolving with it so it's not like you know you can go well in year one i'll do this i'll do this with that player because it yeah. worked with that player it, it might be different so you have to you have to keep evolving as well but yeah definitely it is almost like every every player has their own year one and then they're on to year two and then another player comes in and that's his year one um i think that's that's a really um that's a really good bit of of this you know is that we we get to come across so many good i I call them people rather than players we come across so many good people that it's um it's, it's really quite um brilliant to be able to help them in whatever they do whether it's football or not it's it's great to be able to no, no, I, I can, I can, without going into too much detail, I can. That's evident at your club that we've had conversations before about the success stories of players that are not to do with football, and your club academy, I believe, celebrates that, which is, which is fantastic to see yeah. because it's more than just the player, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about this loads of times, and everyone has, you know, rattled that stat around about how small it is, about the number of people that make it as professionals. So it has to, it has to be bigger than that. If all you focus on is is getting professional footballers at your club, then you're doing probably 95% of the people a disservice. And and we just had our parent induction for our academy, and, and you know we had we used that opportunity to celebrate some of the players that have left our academy and gone on to do great things. And some of those are in football. You know, some some are still with us. Some are with different clubs, and some are outside of football. You know, going off to America, getting a scholarship, and just going off and doing doing their own thing. Somebody set up their own business and doing coaching. And I think we need to celebrate all that sort of stuff because you know that's the that's the bigger picture. We're we're, we're people developers. We just happen to work in football, and I think we need to keep that perspective. Yeah, brilliant. So. We could chat all day about <clears throat> everything football, mate. But let's let's dig into the the sort of the session planning and, and coaches' actions on the grass. So you've been fortunate enough to work at all levels, and whether that be delivering or observing and feeding back and developing staff as well as players. But what, in your opinion, do you think makes a good or effective coaching session? Well, I mean, I think you could you could stick to probably the youth award and, and A license, B license principles, and, and look for those three R's around uh, repetition of the learning outcome, relevance to the players, and realism to the game. I think they're they're sort of the the essentials. But I think on top of that, it has to be engaging. There has to be a flow, and I think there has to be an intensity to to what they're doing. So I I would go for for those sort of things really. And I think 
that you know the, the three R's are really important. That that has to be there in, in your practice. But I think that the other stuff engages the human part of the of the brain. You know the the intensity it makes it fun. It's engaging and, and maybe competitive. I think those those sort of things will, will will get the players to switch on, and then you can do the learning. If the players aren't switched on, it's very hard for them to to then. It's very hard for us to help them learn if they're not engaged in the topic that you're doing. You know, and I think I think that we, we talked about it before. But my, my one of my favourite phrases is about education is about lighting a fire, not filling a well. And I think we have to do that. We have to light a fire so that they're they're curious about what it is that we're doing and how can we make that better. And once we've got them hooked there, then we can start giving them all the stuff and letting them letting them play around to learn more. But I think I think we have to hook them in first with something that's engaging, has a bit of intensity, has competition, and then we can start looking into the practice. Yeah. So, and how how can coaches achieve that? No matter what level they're working at, what sort of things would you advise to to light that fire or get that buy-in from the players that that the coaches are working with? We have to give them problems to solve. You know, I think I think. Well, yeah, we have to give them problems to solve. If if it's just a you know a pass there, run to there, pass there, run to there, it's quite monotonous. It's it's quite boring. You know, what if I don't want to run to there? You know, what if I want to do something different? And I think we, if we give them a problem to solve, then there's there's multiple ways of solving that problem. You know, and and it means we can we can start engaging with all of the players, and they all have to try and solve this problem. So I, I definitely think we have to give them problems to solve, which means that, you know, we don't tell all the time. We ask questions and, and you know, we, we let them work it out for themselves. We also probably need to have some sort of opposition and make it make it opposed, make it competitive. I think they're really important. And, you know, I think those sort of three ingredients will, will, will give them a problem to solve, you know. If it's me just shooting into a goal... You know, it's it's after a while I'm going to get bored. If it's me, I have to get past you to then shoot into the goal. You know, I've suddenly got loads of things I need to think about. You know, mainly going on in your left side would be one of the first things I do. It's a long way around me, but you'll, you'll get there eventually, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, no, brilliant. So <clears throat> for me, that I like the way you describe that around lighting the fire, but but getting the buy-in from the players that, like you said, they've got to want to take part in the practice. That you always yeah. want to be disappointing them when you stop it or move it on, or the session comes to an end. And yeah, I say certainly there that element of having some op- opposition or competition is. I think all coaches should should certainly have elements of their session that have that. If not, most of all definitely. Session. Because yeah, definitely. And then, so once once you've got that, you, you spoke about those those three R's. How how are you working, or how are you encouraging your coaches to work to enable repetition um, in the sort of compo- uh, opposed competitive environment? How would you do that? Yeah, I mean, repetition is basically are, are you are you getting are they getting opportunities to practice what it is that you're wanting them to get better at. You know, so if we're looking at, I don't know, finishing the attack, are they getting plenty of opportunities to finish the attack or are they spending most of their time, you know, building the attack, for example? So all the, all the repetition is, is about can, can we do more of what we're trying to get better at? Yeah. And I think for us to, to be able to do that, we need to know what it looks like in the game. And that's that links into the realism because you have to work back from the game. But I think to, to be able to to 
make sure that we get repetition of, of the learning outcome we need to say well well what is it we're trying to learn when does that happen in the game why does it happen in the game and then where does it happen in the game and once you can answer those questions you can start pick, piecing together what that what that might look like and then then your job is just to try and recreate that moment as often as possible yeah yeah but and, and that, that comes down to that could come down to a bit of crafty you know session planning or practice design but it could just it could just be recognizing those moments in a game and being able to support them in that in that moment. Yeah. But you need so, to make sure you know what it looks like in the game for you to be able I wanna, to. I want to dig deeper into this, mate. I like this because <laughs> I, I feel that a lot of coaches out there will will see the repetition and, and understand, mm. agree with your point of right, uh, to enable the players to develop, they need repetition. I don't know what your experiences are, but I sometimes find that naturally coaches tend to go gravitate towards the technical box yeah constant practice yeah yeah so there i think it's really important that we just highlight that point that you're you're talking around more of the the repetition of in-game stuff or yeah yeah so so, i mean we we use we use variable and random sorry go on yeah you said there about finishing the attack yeah the repetition part will not purely just be shooting into the goal it's the repetition and it might be four five six different techniques or yes. passages of play finishing from crosses disguise through balls one on one etc but yeah. loads of opportunities to try those five or six different techniques or actions in the tactical box as well not just definitely shoot into a goal shoot into a goal and I think that's a key point that um, through no fault of I always say this coaches have good intentions don't get me wrong of course they do yeah but I think sometimes the word repetition gets gets banded around with the yeah. technical work too much. Yeah, when when you when you when you think repetition, your your brain will automatically jump to people in queues passing in lines, won't you? Because because you get loads of repetition. So I think people would automatically go to that. But I, I wasn't meaning that. I'm more meaning of. In, I, think that I mean, has we a place, use, Matt. Well, it's funny when when I was in the FA before I came and join the club I actually really hated constant practice didn't like it didn't think there was a place for it at all and yeah, actually you, the, you, you were found out during them parts of session yeah, yeah that's when I would ruin the <laughs> sessions yeah. well I just I think it's because of the context I was working in I was working with grassroots coaches who maybe had their players for one two hours a week yeah. so in, in that scenario there is no place for constant practice because you haven't got time if you know, I, I was meeting loads of coaches who was saying, "Well, they can't. Our kids can't handle a game on a Sunday." And I said, "Right. Well, tell me what you're doing in training, or let me come and have a look at what you're doing in training." And training didn't look like the game, so they never get an opportunity to practice the game, and then we're moaning when they can't play the game. So I guess that context made me think, well, actually, if you've got your kids for one hour a week, there's probably no place for constant practice. You haven't got time. You need to make your practices look like the game so that they can get better at the game. Now, when I come into the club, still with our nines to 16s, uh, probably nines to sort of 15s, where we have them for limited time in a week, we don't use constant practice. We'd use variable and random practices because we, we believe that we can develop our technique in, in variable practices as well, uh, not just constant practices. But, but we would still use variable and random practices for our nines to 15s. With our 16s to 18s, we have them a lot longer. So actually, there is a place for the constant practice. And, and it could be for a, a number of things. It could be around loading. You know, maybe the, the players have done a lot of work, high-intensity work, and we're trying to decrease their load. 
uh, during a particular session or it might be about refining a, a particular technique or it might be just to ingrain a pattern in, into their into their, their brain around how we, we do something. So, for example, we, we did finishing the attack yesterday and part of that practice was unopposed. It was probably in between constant and variable as in they were doing the same thing but they were doing it in different ways and um, there is a place for it. There is. And I think that's my learning. And I think we have to be open to that because when I first came in to the club, I was 100% this end of the spectrum. There is no place for it. It's old school. It's rubbish. There's no need for it. And actually, I was wrong. And I'm, I'm now at a point where I see a great deal of value in these practices. But what I would say is I actually believe that designing a constant practice with the three R's is more difficult than, des than designing a, a variable or random practice because it has to mirror the game exactly or they're not practicing something that will help them. Yeah. So if, if you are going to do a constant practice, you're planning. I think you have to do more planning to make sure that the distances, the pictures, the movements, the passes, everything mirrors the game exactly because that's what they're going to get loads of repetition of. So if you don't get that right, the, the players are going to practice loads, something that they'll never get to use. Yeah. Whereas if you get it right... The, the you know, detail's really important there, isn't it? <clears throat> that you, yes. you are referencing towards the game itself. So it's not just yeah. make this move off this mannequin. It's if your opponent does this, what are we doing? Yes. What's your timing of your movement in relation to where the ball is or your opponent? So con that realism, still trying to use it as a reference point, even in a yes. constant practice. Yeah. So, so, so going back to the yesterday session, we 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 worked. We were actually doing finishing the attack, and we were looking into getting to good areas to to get into scoring zones. And and we we um, got them to practice three or four patterns. So here's a here's one way of getting in there. Here's another. Here's another. Here's another. And we practiced those loads, and then we went in with the back, back four. Now you know you've got the patterns, but you have to decide when and where to use it which one to use so you're selecting the right the right move at the right time so there's definitely a place for it but yeah I, when I'm talking about repetition I'm, I'm more talking about you know I am probably saying variable and random practices I prefer you know and I think if you've got them particularly coaches that have got players for limited time in a week I think you need to be staying to that end of the spectrum because it's it's more like the game um, but I think I think repetition of the learning outcome is, is really important. Yeah. We have to if we're if we're saying we're going to learn this, the players have got to have opportunities, loads of opportunities to practice that. So so can you? We've got we've got a f quite a few of our listeners uh, are not in a fortunate position to have access to their teams as much as you or I might. So how yeah. would you? What are the tips or can you give us some examples of how coaches might ensure repetition and realism in? Um, a variable or random practice so that even if they start the session with with a constant and get repetition there how can they ensure you, you start I think you were going to touch on something about small sided games or constraints earlier that how, how did you take your example from yesterday how are you going to ensure that the players yeah. get repetition within an opposed game realistic setting well I think there's, there's a couple of things one I think keep it simple because the simpler it is, the more opportunities the players are getting to practice what you're wanting to practice rather than learning a really complicated game. 
So, so keep it really simple and then work back from the game to produce these moments for you to, to repeat. So we, you know, if, if it's a small sided game, you might just think about start positions or, or, or little constraints that you put on to, to, to get that repetition of the learning outcome. So if, for, if, for example, you're playing, playing out from the back and you're playing a small sided game, every time the ball goes out of play, restart with the goalkeeper dead simple but but what you do is you get more repetition of playing out from the back so it might go out for a throw in in the top right hand corner doesn't matter we're going to go back to the keeper and this is where we're going to start so you can start ingraining those habits in and you get plenty of repetition but even in a in a game and i think you've just got to be the 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 the, the little conditions they're, they're really useful in small sided games because it means that you can you can get repetition but you still get the realism of a game so something yeah. like that, for example, you know, you don't have to manipulate or manufacture a start position because every time the ball goes out of play, the goalkeeper is going to restart it anyway. Yeah. So no, let's have them, let them have a few goes, and then then you can go in and support them with it if they need it. Yeah, no, I like that. That's um, <clears throat> definitely something that that's the way I like to work as well. What what I'd add to that, if if I may, is I think coaches need to. <laughs> when the session is taking place keep an eye on the number of opportunities to practice it they get and and how they can yeah. act to ensure that the repetition is as high as possible for example yes. you said they're on a, a playing out from the back um, topic if the red team have managed the ball for the majority of the game the blue team are never getting opportunities so yes. what have I got up my sleeve to make sure that the blue team are still getting chances it might be we play two eight minute halves and the red team have only got six passes to score so there's going to be turnovers because yeah. you need the blue team to have the ball I've found that in the past I've yeah. come away from sessions and reflected and thought well I've wanted to work on playing out from the back and my red team only probably did it three times in a 16 minute game yeah what, what things have you got up your sleeve that can make sure the repetition is high um, yeah but yeah no I like that so I think that's a really really good point I hope a lot of guys listening will, will take the repetition element away not just being the constant practice stuff so um, yeah we, we spoke a little bit about practice design but with, with regards to realism um, one thing I wanted to ask and a, a question I get now and then is around um, how can we ensure realism in practice specifically if we only have smaller numbers and a lot of guys working in the professional game are quite lucky that they have disposal to to almost perfect numbers. But in the grassroots yeah. game, especially this time of year, when when players how selfishly players go on holiday and we end up with only five or seven at training, um, yeah. have you got any tips or ideas for, for how those coaches can still ensure realism or yeah. adapt to the practices that they did have rather than just aborting and, and going back to a a shooting drill with a line of five <laughs> yeah I mean I think I think firstly I think the, the stuff I did in schools and, and and coaching and community sessions I think really helps with your deal with numbers because all those sessions in schools where you know I was expecting I don't know 15 kids and, and 45 turn up <laughs> or I'm expecting four, 45 and 5 turn up you know or I'm doing a community session and 2 turn up you know, the, having to do that over and over again, you you actually become 
okay and, and calm you know it doesn't fluster you anymore when when the numbers change um and and at our place you know like many clubs and you know i remember working in a in an academy prior to this role and uh, there was a development squad so sort of in between the 18s and the first team and you know you could end up with six you could end up with seven you could start with seven and and the manager take two off you so you finish with five halfway through, and you know I think these sort of these sort of experiences. So when people talk about you know how can I get better at this sort of stuff, I think it's about going and doing. You know, do those sessions, do the community sessions, the the evening sessions, the school sessions, the, the holiday camps, all that stuff. I think has helped me be able to deal with with this in a more effective manner it doesn't fluster me as much as it probably did you know 10 years ago when they were saying oh you've got seven i'd be going oh god what do i do with seven <laughs> you know now i've got seven you're thinking all oh, right okay let's let's see what i've got yeah. so i think i think that's that's firstly sort of gives you a nice grounding and it helps you deal with that sort of stuff but 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 i go back to what i said before is that you have to work back from the game and, and i think that's that's again something i've probably learned more over the past three years around what where does it happen in the game and why does it happen and then and then work back from there to to see what you know what what the game would look like i mean a real simple one is if you're just if you're doing a small sided game you know what formation would you play what formation do the opposition play and then just start stripping back you know how many players have we got well we've got eight aside right okay so let's put the pitch in which players fall within that size pitch which players do we need which players can we can we move out you know and, and I think the, the more it looks the more you start with the end point and then work backwards it becomes easier rather than trying to work with you know the, the five players you have working up just to start the game and, and work back from there and again listen that's really easy for us because you know we've got access to loads of footage of games and you know tools that we can pause and color you know all that sort of stuff in so it's, it's easier for us but but the, the very simple you know just just find a game if you're working on a particular topic when does it happen in the game just pause it have a look at the picture what does the picture look like which players are involved what area of the pitch are they in you know and i think you can start looking at that and go right well which players aren't involved in the practice right them lot they're not involved. It's, it's where is it situated in and around the goal? Which are the two? You know, who are the two most important defenders? Well, the five and the six are really important. The nine is really important, and you just start working around from there. I think is a really effective way of, of getting realism to your practice. So, where does it happen on the pitch? Who are vital to that practice? And then start start looking at the the constraints once you've got the the area of the pitch and the people that you, that you need to. To, to do the practice you know pin down I think that would be the that would be my tip it, it, listen it's something that I, I've been probably trying to do for the last three years or so and it's it's not easy all the time particularly if you have got small numbers but I think the I think but if you get into the habit of pausing the game and just looking at the picture I think it really starts to help because you start to start to understand the the patterns the distances the where the players should be, where the players are, and I think it helps you just understand the game a little bit more. And I think once you once you have that understanding, um, you can start to imagine what what players are required for a particular session. So so watching the game really helps. Pausing it, having a look at the picture, having a look at the distances. I think that's that's something I'd, I'd highly recommend. But but that's that's the process I would go through. So if I'm looking at a particular outcome, I'll pause the game, I'll have a look at it, 
I'll look at where it is, you know, where it is on the pitch, which players are involved, what are the distances like, and I would start working around back from who are the essential players for this practice to happen. Yeah, brilliant. <clears throat> well, I had a conversation at the other evening with a coach around this exact topic, which is why I wanted to ask, but we, we touched on, like you said, almost taking an aerial shot of your session and then mm-hmm. zooming in and zooming in on the key area and just omitting players as you get closer and closer to the pitch like you said the, yeah. the opposite nine and the opposite five and six are not relevant so I can I can scratch Gone. those players out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess like you said earlier just practice at doing it so yeah. like you said you, you're lucky that you, you've learnt your trade in environments where you didn't know what you were going to get so and I guess at the end of the day I don't think if we're honest the players are really going to know too much between a good and a bad session from a coaching perspective as long as they're no. enjoying it and and it's relevant and realistic to yeah. the game I think, I think that that, that just reflecting on what I said there I think there's two parts to it I think what I mentioned earlier about making sessions engaging and interesting and, and having a flow and intensity to it and then I talked about realism and I think the doing all those practices and sessions, you know, through schools and communities and evening sessions, I think that helps you do the first bit because, you know, I might have 45 kids and I need to keep them all engaged. You know, that's a, that's a skill. And then next week I have five kids and I need to get them engaged and keep some flow to this practice. So I think that helps you with that. But then the realism bit, you, you have to do the same amount of practice, but, but looking at the game. You know, I think there's the two probably key elements to a practice, um, and both both require hours really to go away and learn it. And I, listen, I'm I'm not saying that I'm perfect at it. I, I'm not at all. You know, I'm I'm still learning myself. And luckily, I've got people around me that can check and challenge what I'm doing, and I can go to and go, well, what's your thoughts on this? And why did that not have any flow? Or was that real? But I think I think the more you practice it, and the more you seek feedback from it. I think the the more refined you can you can become. Uh, brilliant, love that. So, in in your opinion, what what would um, how many sort of parts or sections to an effective session would you usually have? Sort of what are the duration to to these different parts? And I know that depends on how long your session is, but how would you see <laughs> a session progressing from start to finish? Um, what, what yeah, what the, it's interesting. That? I mean. We, so the constraints that we have, we have our lads for two hours. Um, our, this is our nice of 16s. We have our lads for two hours. We work on a whole part, whole framework so that we get a lot of random and variable practice. Um, our first half an hour includes a warm-up and like pressing boxes, we call them, which is like a high-intensity um, possession transition game that we play. Um, and then we do whole part, whole. Each section is roughly half an hour as a framework. Um, now, in an ideal world, actually, I think that's too long. I think um, the game is 90 minutes, so why would we play train for any longer than 90 minutes unless we're practicing for extra time and penalties? But in a, in a normal, regular season, 90 minutes, I don't know why we train for any longer than that. So p- on a personal point of view, I, I think working to the game is probably long enough, um, but, but everyone has their the constraints that they, they work within, don't they? Some might have an hour, some might have longer. You know, We have to work within a framework of two hours, so we've, we've created a framework that we think helps our players and our coaches structure the practice um, but from a personal point of view I think I think a 90 minute slot is, is more than enough because that's how long the game is 
And then each practice, it completely depends on the intensity. It, it depends on the context. What have they done prior? What are they doing post? Um, and I think what our, our job is to sort of get it to an intensity where it's working really well and then maybe let it go a little bit longer and then that's it, done, move on. And I think that's, that's, that's the key. I think sometimes we, we try and stop it just, just when it's getting good and I think we, we probably need to be a little bit more patient. Just let it let it go a bit more, let it go a bit more, let them get a bit fatigued, then then pull it. That's it, done. And sometimes you know, the opposite. We, 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 we sometimes drag it out until the players get it. And a, a practice yeah. can end up going for 40, 45 minutes. Actually, the players <laughs> yeah, don't have to get it tonight. Yeah. That's not a problem. It, yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. Our sort of curriculum is, is like a revisit. We revisit all the time. So I'm not actually bothered if they don't get it tonight. It's not a problem, you know, because they might. For four, five, yeah. six years to work with. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, you're right. You don't want to be dragging it, dragging the death out of it, um, you know, 45 minutes. I think I think the players work best when it's the, the intensity in the practice should mirror the intensity of the game. That, now, that does have ups and downs, but when it's going, it's really match intensity. It's high intensity. And I think if you can work in short, sharp blasts, then I think the quality of the work that you get will be better. So we, we try and work on like three minutes, four minutes. So if we're doing something of high intensity, we're trying to get it going for three minutes, and then we'll, then we'll stop and we'll rest. And we'll, and we'll use that rest period to, to maybe drop in a couple of points, talk to a couple of players, and then we go again. And, and I quite we quite like that that sort of ups ups at high intensity and then rest and we'll we'll give you a bit of information. And I think, Up I think high the players, intensity the players and, like yeah. that, don't they? Because they know that for a a block of work, we're well, just getting to play and it's not interrupting. Yes, I remember yeah. when we did our A license and you kept stopping a session every few minutes because it was going wrong. <laughs> my head fell off. I just wanted to play. And the players are the same, aren't they? Just that they know yeah, but. Four if I remember minutes. correctly, you uh, you did teach me the lesson with that amazing sixty-yard diag that you did on <laughs> yeah, two successive occasions. I've perfected <laughs> the toe punt, mate. Don't you worry. <laughs> just, just, just no, you're pick, right. You're right. Yeah, just to pick up on something you said there as well around a syllabus. How how important is it that um, maybe it's quite commonplace at, at academy level, but in grassroots lesson, at level, do you think a session should focus on one topic throughout, or do you think coaches should cover multiple topics in one session where do you sit with that well i would well the comparison would be a school um and i think they would have a focus in a lesson you know i think if you were doing maths i don't think they'd start teaching you geography in the same lesson i think they'd just teach you maths but saying that there's, there's multiple outcomes in everything that we do. Yeah. And what we need to understand is, is that we can't control what each player is taking in. So even though we're all learning the same thing, we might have 20 kids that are all learning something slightly different in a slightly different manner. You know, they might be taking something else in. So there's always going to be multiple outcomes, but I think you should have one clear focus, one clear message that everybody gets, that you give everybody. And I think that just that just helps with with clarity. You know, what's the what's the one what's the one thing? And I think Steve mentioned that um, last week the the tennis ball scenario. And I think I think that's that's a really really good one. And you know, I think 
we need to be really clear on if they're going to take away one thing from this lesson or this session, what is it going to be? What's the one thing we want them to take away? And if we're really clear on that, I think I think that will sink in. When we're not clear on what the one key message is, we're, we're doing that thing where we're throwing 20 tennis balls at them and hoping they catch one. And and the one that you catch might be different to the one that I catch. So so what's the learning focus? So I think I think you do have to have a, a, a clear focus, give them one key message. What's the key message that, that, that they're all taking away with today? And listen, that doesn't mean that you don't go around and give other people things, because of course you do. But as a learning focus, I think you should just, just have one key message. Okay. Real clarity. Excellent. Love that. So we have got a question from Twitter. Um, first one on this on the show. So you guys who are listening next time, uh, get some questions in because it, it, it makes my life as a host a bit easier. This is this is from Tom. <laughs> so Tom was... I don't have to know. take that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't submit questions for your own... Uh, your own podcast, mate. <laughs> um, so Tom Ash asked, would you encourage a team to play like the forthcoming opposition in the Youth Development or Foundation phase or would you just go into your matches on Sundays or Saturdays essentially blind? What are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, in, the, in the Youth Development phase? Uh, either, Is that so the question? Would you, I guess, yeah, I guess answer it as, as you see fit, but maybe at, I guess at academy level you may do. Uh, I don't know what okay. what your preferences are, but I think Tom's looking at do you do you coach players with a with a view of their forthcoming game in mind, or is it purely around okay. player or person development? No, I think I think it's about uh, I think it's the latter, and I think that when we don't need to win, the the game is just an extension of training, so we don't need to. Um, worry ourselves with the opposition the opposition are just a problem another problem to solve in training so if we're if we're working on playing out from the back which you know i mentioned earlier then on sunday when we play the game or saturday when we play the game we are looking to try and play out from the back and the opposition are going to give us some problems to solve so i I wouldn't worry myself with the opposition at all when we don't need to win it's the extension of training that's all how about if you knew the opposition were played with a front three would you work on a back four plus your keeper playing out versus a three as opposed to if you played a team who were playing a two or would you just incorporate those different problems into your session so that whenever we face yeah. them, they should know it yeah the latter again I wouldn't concern myself with the opposition at all I think I think we need to teach our the, the players uh, to be good players which means that they understand the game and they can problem solve because you know who's to say that in you know 10 years time that there'll be maybe different shapes and patterns and formations perhaps yeah, you yeah. know so they We've need to they need to just be to able to now as well, well we? exactly exactly yeah where can i stand yeah, that, coach that, can i go there what about yeah. that? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that's going to be interesting you know it, it, it will be um i mean somebody mentioned to me the other day about um the last time they changed the rules around goalkeepers, you know, about being able to pick the ball up, you know, before that you could pass it back to the keeper and he could pick the ball up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then they changed that one rule, which you think, you know, might just only be a small rule, and actually it's changed the whole profile of a goalkeeper. So who knows what the, what this rule will do? And and like I said, who knows what the game will look like in in five ten years? And I think we just need to make sure that our players can problem solve. So in the training, I would. I would, you know, get them to play out against a front three, against a front two, you know, against a one, 
and and just give them different options so that and they can they can solve that, that problem. On the weekend. Yeah, and then and then yeah. like I said, that the game is the extension of training. So when we when we're in the the game, it's just right. Well, here's a problem. They're doing this. What are you going to do? How are you going to do it? What did we do in training when that came up? You know, just revisit some of the stuff that you've learned. But no, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't concern myself with with the opposition unless we need to win. You know, when you get to first team, obviously it's it's completely different. Yeah. But but in youth development. I don't think we need to worry about them. Okay. Um, so as you as you know, this this podcast wouldn't be possible without our good friends at Pitch. Uh, Pitch is an um, uh, app for spotting potential talent. So just a quick question around that for you, Matt. Uh, as a coach, what do you look for in potential players? Oh, what a question. It's probably not one thing, is there? You know, because every, every player is different. So there's there's probably not one thing that I could say, you know, this. What I would say is that the game is, is becoming um, really athletic. So so there has to be a baseline of athleticism, you know. Are they able to are they are they able to, to have the to, to do the physical demands of the role that they play? Do they understand the game and and do they have technical quality? And then do they have a work ethic? As in, are they willing to work hard? And then finally, I would I would want to know if they're curious, are they, are they interested, are they wanting to learn? You know, and I think I think those are probably what was that five things that I mentioned there. You know, so can, can they can they have the physical demands of the of their role in the game? So if they're a fullback, you know, and a centre back, they're going to need different different physical capabilities. You know, do they understand the game, and and, and you know they understand their role um have they got a technical quality can they can they deal with the ball can they look after the ball can they share the ball um do they work hard and and do they want to learn and i would say those those are the five pillars really of, of what we'd be looking for in players but then within that you know you've got you've got such variety in each player you know even if you, you pick one age group that, that we were with and the differences of every single individual are massive aren't they but I think I think those would be the principles that we'd be looking for. Oh, brilliant! And I guess just to tie it into our conversation, they're probably some of the things you look to develop with the players you work with. Definitely, your sessions yeah. over time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. And and you know, each they're not going to be perfect in all those areas, and each each of those areas aren't going to be the same. You know, they might be very good in one area and and not so good in another area. And our job is to try and support them across those areas and and make them better and make them, you know, help them reach their potential, whatever that might be. Brilliant. Well, it's that time, mate. It's quick fire questions. <laughs> the, the time Craddock. I've been worrying about. Yeah. <laughs> this, this, is why, this is why you're here. You've been pestering me just to get on here and do your <laughs> quick fire questions. So the rules are be quick. Uh, yes. And Compared this, to the last two, I think yes, I'll be all right. Yeah. I think um, I'll be all right. The disclaimer is these are uh, Matthew Craddock's personal preferences and in no way, shape or form linked to his previous roles or current roles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, in your opinion then, who was the best ever Premier League player? Cantona. Why? Oh, it was just brilliant, wasn't it? Yeah, the, okay. uh, this, you know, this, this aura about him, you knew when he was on the pitch, you knew, you knew when he was around... And he could just, he just magic on the ball, wasn't he? What a, what a play. He was an entertainer, wasn't he? Just yeah. an entertainer. 
fantastic brilliant uh, how about the, in your opinion the best ever Premier League team that you've watched well, I mean you're probably seeing a theme but I'd go for well I'd like to go for the 99 Man United team right. because it was just amazing however uh, the City team last year were just incredible you know, I just absolutely love watching them play. I loved the way they created goals, the way that they moved the ball so quickly. And yet they, they played with such an intensity and yet such a patience. They work a ball into an area. And if it wasn't right, they would they would have the patience to start it again. And I really like that. So my heart would say 99, you know, treble winning team. But um, I think recently the Man City team last year were just so good to watch. Incredible. Brilliant. And who would you say is the best coach or manager? Oh, that's a good question. That is a very good question. Oh, you're, you're slipping into the Matthew. Well, listen, it's Joseph it's it's, listen, it's, it's, it's uh, the anniversary of Bobby Robson, and um, so I'm, I'm, I would go with him. I think he was a, a true gentleman as well. And the what what really jumped out at me about Bobby Robson and the, the stuff that you, that you hear about him and, and read about him is he actually cared about people. And I think that that comes above everything else. Yeah, he was good at, you know, he, had, he, he could speak multiple languages. He knew the game. He could coach. He could do this. He could do that. But he cared about people. And I think, I think that's, that, for me, makes him probably... There's, there's a fantastic image there. going around at the minute of all the other managers and coaches he's worked with I don't know if you've seen that on Twitter it, no it's it's a hand, hand drawn picture of all the different coaches that worked with him at some point and his influence yeah. is, is massive there's oh yeah there's so many names that learnt from him it's fantastic incredible so, just, just a good one, guy as well. final one and this is this is the one that always causes some debate yeah. especially with your, yourself <laughs> all time England 11 go yeah, yeah. I wanted I wanted the Island Eleven, but you you wouldn't let me. So uh, England Eleven, right? Uh, that is tough. I would go with Gary Neville's got to be in it. it no, I'm I'm starting right back. Okay. I'll come back to the keeper. <laughs> I'll come back to the keeper. Gary Neville's got to be in there. Uh, oh, I'm panicking. I'm just going to throw out players: Gary Neville and Beckham. I think Shearer would have to be in there right. as well. Uh, Oh, <laughs> semen in gold, just because you know he had great hair, didn't he? Yeah. Um, very similar to yours, uh, how you used to have it. So That's I think he'd idol. probably go in there. I think you'd probably have to have uh, Lampard and Gerrard, wouldn't you? Just you know the the amount of stuff they did in the game during their era as well. They'd have to sort of be in there. I know the left hand side we sort of struggled with quite a lot, but I'm a massive Phil Neville fan, so right. super super Phil Neville would be going in at left back. Um, <laughs> And who am I missing? Yeah. I'm missing a goalkeeper. Oh no, I've got a goalkeeper. Well. Need some centre half. John Terry would have to go in because he does very well. Yeah. Very good player, good leader as well. Um, starting to be a coach as well. Good coach. Uh, what am I missing? Centre half and center left half, mid. Left mid and a striker, I think. Right. Well, Lineker's going up top with Shearer. Right. So he's in. He's got the call. Um, a centre half I quite like um, John Stones and I know people John Stones was, we've, had, yeah. we've had Martin Keown in the squad so uh, yeah well I'm sure own. I'm sure you'd like Martin Keown in there but no I really like John Stones I know he's not an all time player and you wouldn't say he's a bit of a legend yet but 
I think he's a, a modern centre half, and, and I really like the way he gets the ball down. He can play, he can drive out, calm under pressure, calm when he makes a mistake. Uh, really like that. And then uh, a left midfielder. Uh, that is tough. Who did Steve put in? I can't think he went with a midfield three. Did he? Typical. Typical. Um, someone with. Uh... I'm going to put I'm, I'm chucking Scolzi in so okay. I'll go in for a, a three on and, the left you've gone yeah go he, he can one. he can just free roll it you know <laughs> absolute player he can deal with that listen I'm, I'm sure that'll, that, that'll cause some some critique on Twitter mate so I appreciate <laughs> you sharing that I'll, I'll uh, take that that's fine <laughs> listen mate it's uh, it's gone far too quickly for me but um, we're going to have to wrap it up because I know um, <clears throat> when we started this we said about them being short form and now we're on 52 minutes so really but, wow yeah. honestly mate thank you so much for your time I really appreciate you're welcome it. you're um, welcome mate no problem make sure everyone listening Matt as well is on pitch uh, sponsors uh, I'm on there Steve Matt you're on there our previous guests so anyone looking at a new f- way of scouting talented players or if you're a player and want to get yourself seen by loads of people within the game make sure you get on there www.pitchrmt.com again thanks to Mark Business Fiction for recording and editing this episode big thanks to Soul and the guys at Pitch and then last but no means least Matty thank you very much for your time and your insight no problem you're welcome and just to let you know my laptop has updated oh, finally okay so then we'll, let's hope this recorded otherwise it's a short episode <laughs> no, good man you're welcome brilliant you're welcome. Um, everyone who's listening make sure you subscribe it's now available on uh, iTunes as well as Google uh, Android and Spotify so make sure you get that wherever you can please spread the word leave a comment review Nothing less than five stars would be appreciated. Um, (laughs) And we shall see you guys in the next episode. Take care. Matt did ask me the other day, Mark, if we were allowed to swear. And I said, there's not been a swear word on here yet. So, (laughs) yeah. Um, yeah, so I'll ask you a question. What are the key aspects? Oh, the players are <laughs> <shit>. <laughs> the coaches are rubbish. <laughs>